Hey everyone, welcome to our fifth goddamn episode, our halfway mark for the season. Hopefully as all of us start taking on more jobs or returning to old ones, this podcast helps you feel a little more vindicated in standing up for what you deserve, or at least seen in the experiences you've endured. My girl Sehaiti was an awesome person to interview, and her experiences in all the places she lived growing up really shaped how she thought about her creative self and her work self. I don't think many of us can say we organized for union representation in our teens while living in Hawaii. Yeah, no. But I think many of us had to work with people that had ulterior motives for working with us, leaving us unable to trust their critique or help. Also, during lockdown, a lot of us turned to the internet to connect with our community. And Sahaiti was one of my internet friends I made at the top of the pandemic. She is someone that I admire, love, and I'm constantly inspired by and have officially met in person multiple times, but you hear more about that. Anyway, we hope you enjoy. Now let's start the episode. And I am Carolyn. And this is Creatives on Deck, an interview-style podcast where we talk to creatives who often find themselves working in two worlds, in their artistic endeavors that make them thrive, and the service jobs that not only fund their livelihoods, but teach them about people. This week, our guest is Tahaitu Abi, a social strategist, entrepreneur, startup fixer, founder of Black Dragon Breakfast Club, and a rising singer-songwriter. As an Ethiopian-American growing up between Philadelphia and Hawaii, Tahaitu gained unique perspectives of identity, race, class, immigration, community organizing, and leadership. Sahaitu, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) We already commented on it, but I just want to say again that we very much love the plant wall behind you and your whole setup, and it seems very calming, and I'm very impressed. (laughs) Thank you. It's so much better than the past. I feel so much better as a human being. I feel like I, this is like my dress code, you know? <laughs> yes. In the workforce. And before I just looked raggedy. And now <laughs> I look up to par, ready to go. An A, a worker. And the sweatshirt is also clouds. So it just, it all fits together. Like you are just in yes. a very good place. You see yeah. this? It matches my floor. <laughs> you don't know that. Get out. Yeah. And my pants are yellow. Oh my God. The sky, the sun, the the plants. My name means the sun. Shut up! I know. (laughs) This is great! (laughs) Wild! I think it would be helpful for this interview if we did actually talk about how the two of you met and got to know each other and the group that you guys do have together, like what the goals are of that. Absolutely. I have a cat that's scratching on the door. (laughs) (laughs) No! So how we met, I was looking for people to connect with. I like just like I wanted to do something in the beginning of COVID and I was just like restless. And it was a very specific ask in one of the groups that we were in, me and Tahiti were in. When we got on the call, 
It felt so good. It was like one of those things where you've like known someone for a while. It's like, yeah, yeah. We just clicked on a bunch of levels and then bringing Ava into the fold. Just jumping in real quick here. Ava is Ava Martinez Bond. We will be interviewing them in a later episode this season. Fantastic graphic designer who gave us our logo, actually. Thank you so much. And Ava Aday and Sahai too are using all of their skills in marketing, social media management, graphic design to create some really awesome things as a group later on. That's kind of what this section is explaining, how that came to be. Okay, back to the regular interview. Was just like basically same energy. And it's nice because like the three of us are like just like three different black Fans. Like just like, like different, but like complement each other very well and see each other, you know, for what we do bring to the table and also for like the shit that we've been through being often put into roles of leadership, um, whether chosen or not chosen and then being shit on um, and being taken for granted. And uh, it's like, it's been a really nice way of trying to be like, okay, how do we not use our trauma? But how do we like use like our shit, the things that we're really fucking good at and not have other white people take our shit and try and control the narrative? I don't know if you want to add to that. <laughs> so like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of holding space. And you know, for me, you all are strangers, essentially. And I'm getting to know you all. And... I use this space to show up kind of very whole, which is like, I'm not able to do that in a lot of spaces. So I, I you know, I started off by saying like, we're building trust because we, there's all these projects, there's all these things we want to do, hobbies or work. <laughs> <laughs> it's everything that Arisola said. It's, it's like kind of like something that's growing, you know, like we being here in this space now, it's, it's cool. It's like, oh, okay, cool. I see what's manifested here. A lot of building trust. It's like learning again how to build trust. I think for me personally, because of all the shit that we have been through, it's like, oh, I can truly honestly bring myself to this space. Like Sahaitu was saying, just uh, like showing up whole. And then with that honesty of myself, really building that trust, which is something that does not happen a lot. So it's like a really nice special place because also we can just be like, yeah, um, not today. <laughs> not today. <laughs> just like. Yeah, we have a project. We have a project that we're working on now. And it's funny because I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what's my offering. But even just being okay with saying that, you know? Yeah. Because I can be a person that's very, like, the pressure's on, got to show up, want to be perfect, want to, you know, make it happen. Uh, and again, like, showing up whole and being okay with, like, no, nah, it's not happening right now, y'all. Don't. Uh -uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, sorry. I love what you're doing, <laughs> but it's not happening for me. Mm -mm. Yeah. And I'm saying that in a way that's, like, I'm very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. I like that. 
I think very few people can feel like they can say they're unavailable for any type of project, like especially because when when it's people you like and that you do trust, that level of guilt can set in. So it's like it is a very rare opportunity to feel like I can be honest with all of you and say I am not capable of getting this work done right now. And I can't give anything and feel like you can trust those people to take that in and be like, that's totally fine. Yep. Yep, that part. <laughs> yes, that part. Yeah, because I don't so really true. show up. I, I I haven't said this to people, but I don't show up with my friends if I'm not in a good mood. You know, I don't, I don't really use my friends to necessarily comfort me. I don't think that that's what that space, that relationship is for. So exploring what that looks like when it's kind of when you don't have anything to show. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Yeah. I mean, because it's like, you know, a normal service job, you wouldn't be able to do that. Like they fire you. <laughs> That's why so many people end up showing up to work physically or mentally drained and just continuing a ter- like a feeling of like terribleness. Oh, yeah. Different ways you have to show up throughout the mm-hmm. day based on the, the projects and the work that you do trying to find a safe space, I guess, to be and then also create. What I'm realizing more and more, too, from these interviews, again, is that there really isn't a line between the idea of work that you put into the service work you do and then the creative work you do, because it kind of leads to the same type of mentality where it's like I have set goals. And if I don't meet those goals, whether financially or creatively, like it makes me feel bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like with the music project, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, right? It's like, how have I been approaching it? I've been approaching it as as if mm, just practical. I have the money to pay my producer. I have the creative juices to act, (laughs) perform. I have the focus to show up consistently. I have the drive to schedule my sessions. And so I happen to have all of the ingredients <laughs> necessary at this moment to get this done, to make this happen. And I'm also keeping track of, in somewhat some sense, the money I'm spending and trying to make sense of, okay, will I be able to make this money back practically? I think so. (laughs) I think so. Will I have like the emotional gratification? You know, like, yes. Am I enjoying this process? Yes. Am I pouring into the people in the project? Yes. Am I learning? Yes. Am I proud? Holy snap. Yes. Like, how did you get into that? And like, what are your influences? Because... I also make music and our music like that we're creating are very different. For sure. Um, I've been singing since I was a little kid. Uh, the story is my spiritual name is Gita. It means song. I used to sing in the ashram a lot. So that meant a lot of like Sanskrit songs and certain tones and, and ways in what's the scales, I guess, and specific mm. scales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then... The people I grew up listening to were very limited. So I didn't have that many. I didn't have access to a lot of music. I wasn't really allowed to. And I followed that. So the CDs I had were Lauren Hill, Miss Education, yes. Yes. Aaliyah, Aaliyah, oh India, Ari, Alicia Keys, 
And then eventually, Little Dragon. Mm. And when I was in high school, I sang in a choir, soprano too. And when I moved to Hawaii for half of my high school experience, I sang in a choir there and I was a song conductor and I would create songs to memorize my studies, my, my lessons in English class. I got a lot of joy from singing. And then when I was in college, there was a really interesting music scene in Hawaii. And it was exciting to explore the people, the sounds, and just the culture. And so I was around a lot of musical people, a lot of artists. And I don't think I understood the wealth of what I was around, really, because you just think, you know, he's just, he's just around you. My first boyfriend was this very musical person. I dated this hip-hop artist who I then created some music with. Uh, and it was inspired by the tsunami that hit Japan. I was around people who really encouraged me to sing, but I didn't have a lot of confidence. And so like I would hear my voice and it was very distant to me. You know, it's like, huh? Like, who is that? <laughs> and I would write and I would just write things, but I wasn't necessarily connected to it. I didn't have, I, I, I felt like I needed this emotional connection to it to express it in a certain way yeah and then I moved to California and I lived on a cannabis farm with my ex at the time and I got into SoundCloud and I would find people just you know find random songs and I would reach out to them and I had my mic my blue mic in my little tiny corner studio <laughs> and I'm in there making my songs and my boyfriend at the time, he was into music too. So there was just this energy of we're creatives too. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed it. I just remember enjoying making songs and recording things and doing things on GarageBand. And then I moved to Philadelphia and I started to perform at open mics. And there were a couple spaces that were very intimate late night. And I would go and I would like jam and, you know, you kind of just like freestyle. And so I would, I was really like trying to challenge myself to just be comfortable in those spaces. And then, you know, you, there's a lot of amazing artists here. And so I was in some spaces with some more like rapper producer people. And so I got like that experience to like record and I would always feel uncomfortable, like with adding effects on my voice. Mm. Cause it was like, ah, this isn't my voice. You know, it needs to be, needs to make you feel amazing. Um, and there's, there's also just in terms of my influences, like I say Little Dragon, cause I remember when I first discovered Little Dragon or Little Dragon was introduced to me, I was like, oh yeah. Just the way the lyrics are written and the sound and just the, the freedom. And even, I guess the, the live instrumentation made electronic and then coming to Philly and being around more like live instrumentation even more. And I was, I had that around me in Hawaii too, but just in a different way. And like even being around the source to so much amazing music. And so 
you know, in terms of my journey, I've always just felt very like, just, I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm just not there yet. And when will I be there? But being comfortable with writing, even like that makes me very uncomfortable. It's such a challenge to express yourself through your words and then sing them. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, so now, thanks to COVID, you know, my sister, me and her, we were living in the same space. We were writing songs together. I started to make use of this iPad that I had with GarageBand. And I think being around so many artists since being in Philadelphia and, and producers and people who really know their technology, you know, which I've been around all the time too, made me feel like I'm just on GarageBand, like I'm about to make nothing. You know, you, you don't value, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like where you're at because you see so many other people. And I had been working with guys in the past. I've just been around a lot of male producers. And at some point, the idea was like, I need to be around a woman producer. Like That's what it is. And I didn't know where I was going to find them. And I found somebody and I introduced these songs. I worked on, on GarageBand and in my room recording with my headphone, <laughs> like, you know, nothing complicated. And I was like, can you produce these and make these something? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, can I'm ready. I'm, I got a job. I can pay you. <laughs> like, you got to make this happen. Um, and so we started to do that. And that was last year. And we've been doing that for the past year. And now we have a good amount of songs that we've worked on. We've got finally gotten to a point where I create something at home. I bring it in. She mixes it. And it's better than I thought. <laughs> you know, and that is good because I enjoy process. And so there's something really scary about creating and not knowing your process because you're still learning. Mm hmm. And I, I'm learning about myself. I don't like doing things that aren't perfect. But then how you going to do shit? How you going to do something? If <laughs> you worried about being perfect, like you need, you got to go through it. So yes. that's, that's what this has kind of opened me up to as well. It's like I've actually been doing music for a while now. And perhaps, yeah, I didn't feel like I was ready 10 years ago. <laughs> I was making mixtapes in my room. Um, <laughs> but now I am 10 years later. Yeah. And I feel good about it. It seems like, you know, you're not the first guest we've had who's talked about this combination of wanting to like dive into things, but also being very like frozen by the fact that they want it to be the best it can be from the beginning and how we all kind of internalize a lot of perfection elements of things. And it really holds us back and so like from doing these interviews like so many people have talked about that and it's very hard to let go of that idea of like it doesn't have to be perfect like no one's perfect when they start you just have to do it first yeah yeah that's a uh, working through that is definitely a personal problem some might say <laughs> gonna say that for some of the listeners who are like I've, I'm bit, I've been there done that work through that but it is like you know processing that like perfection and knowing that I've done that with other people I've done that in groups and partners I do it with myself 
And with music, like, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to articulate what I want in the song. So how am I going to get to the point of perfection? The fuck? What baseline? What framework am I even going on? Mm-hmm. What are we doing? <laughs> The next thing I wanted to ask about was if you could explain a little more about the Black Dragon Breakfast Club. Yeah, Black Dragon Breakfast Club, we exist to change the perception of cannabis. We are a lifestyle community brand uh, committed to the people. (laughs) We connect creatives to brands and patients to professionals. We believe cannabis is medicine. Uh, We started a couple years ago. Um, We also provide services and sell products recently launched a um, deck of cannabis affirmation cards that have affirmations as well as information and education quote unquote about cannabis where dragons black dragon breakfast club dragons are creative progressive industrious supporters who believe in a shame-free equitable and opportunity rich cannabis industry and it's been growing. We used to do events, used to help people get their medical marijuana cards in person. We would have self-care events. We would have daytime mixers to bring people together in Philadelphia. We would have evening social gatherings um, around music. We do brand activations. We've done digital experiences. More recently, we've been doing conversations on an audio-based app called Clubhouse. Last year, launched a pilot podcast called Conspiracy Corner because over my life, a lot of the things that I now know I've thought in the past were conspiracies, right? You know, and then as you learn more, you realize, no, it's true. And that has been, you know, very, very true for cannabis, You know, learning now that it's medicine, this idea that it's recreational, right? You know, every time we use cannabis, it's doing something that's bringing balance to us, whether we know it or not. So it's important to understand it as medicine. And, you know, today, Black Dragon Breakfast Club is constantly changing with COVID, with me. A lot of my energy is spent running the agency side, where we provide social media marketing support to cannabis companies. And I focus a lot of my time on just building out the foundation of the business, learning in the cannabis space, everything is changing. You know, access to capital is is low. And also just identifying the right place to be in the space. While I do social media marketing because I wanna disrupt the industry through marketing, I think we have an opportunity to do that as well as build community and create conscious cannabis consumers. I still am learning what the cannabis space is um, as it's changing. And so, you know, it's a startup space. And, And so I challenge, you know, again, myself to build the foundation as the cannabis space changes, as well as grow my team and learn how to be a leader of my team and, create a space that doesn't feel like my work spaces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's that's what I get a kick out of, you know, sometimes I downplay the work that I'm doing because it's marketing, you know, social media stuff. But also in that is I'm working with people that I like women 
I'm, I'm teaching, I'm learning, I'm providing opportunities, paid opportunities, consistent ones. I'm managing processes and projects and learning more. And so that's, I say that to say, you know, that's, those are the places I want to continue to develop and grow. And as I do that, that will help me get even more clear about who Black Dragon Breakfast Club is. <laughs> and there's so many things happening because it's a changing industry. You know, I'm not going to pretend like I know everything about it. I lived on a cannabis farm. My father was deported for cannabis. So I'm a victim of the war on drugs. You know, like there's, it's, there's something about like the storytelling in the work that I do a lot and I encourage people to do a lot. But then there's also this like mindfulness of, like, who telling your story is also intense. I'm like, Ugh. but that is the that is part of the work. Like, that is me. I am that person. You know, I thought it was a singular <laughs> type of thing, but you know, in fact, cannabis has offered more jobs, I think, than crime. You know, and and as I do the work around, I guess, the war on drugs, essentially, and helping people understand that cannabis is medicine. It is pretty radical. Like it is still a federal drug. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, people hit me up and they're like, "Can you give me some weed?" I'm like, "No." I'm like I don't have an LLC. You know, it's like I don't have an LLC, so you can call me up for weed, bro. Like that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> like it's it's hard, you know. Like when I say I do, we do social media marketing and marketing and want to disrupt the marketing space. Like ultimately, we manage social media pages for folks and. These folks uh, know that there's a lot of limitations when it comes to marketing and advertising. So we can't necessarily depend on all those ads per se and like the full access on Instagram. You can get shadow banned. Your, you know, your access is limited. People can't find you. Um, Got to be careful about how you post, what you post, what your words are, your hashtags, um, haters who can report you for whatever reason. Also, just the perception, you know, we're changing the perception and so how are we, how am I going to show up? I've had a conversation with someone where, you know, we call it cannabis, they call it weed, you know, they don't care what anybody thinks. I'm still working on how I show up in this space still. And so, you know, part of it is, is, I don't want to say like setting like a role model, but showing people how you can be in this space. Do you feel like because you have to tell a very personal story to like over and over again like does that play into what you guys had talked about earlier where there's a lot of extra work that has to be done sometimes in the jobs you do like an extra level of teaching that you didn't want to necessarily have to do but it's there oh uh, I mean yeah those two parts to that like I haven't all like I guess the story that I tell hasn't maybe always been my story like the story that requires a lot of work and they have just been like a narrative that's like it has, I say over and over again, versus like the story, the story, which is one part, my dad was deported, right? Like that's a story that people really like. <laughs> Am I saying that story? Not necessarily. And then in terms of like the other work and the informing uh, of people, yeah. I mean, like the whole platform, I learned that it's actually better to just repeat the same information over and over again. Um, <laughs> on one end and then also just in terms of people 
uh, it's important to just say the things, same things over and over again. And also like identify my lane in the social space, the social media space, uh, in terms of like what messages we are going to share and like how we're going to share it. And yeah, there is some work, but I think mm, I'm learning like how to target and speak to my audience even better. And that's one part accepting and two part acknowledging my audience, you know, and accepting like, okay, who am I talking to? (laughs) And now let me really talk to you. And so then once I do that, it does feel less work. I have some folks who want more from the platform. (laughs) I sometimes think I am like this, everybody's like black friend. And I've gone through my existential crisis with that. Uh, and I sometimes like count how many black people like the post. And then I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> um. Damn. I, I mean, again, that sounds like some some extra work that's kind of put put on to the work you're already trying to do. And like, even though you feel like it's uh, just something that you're internally doing, I feel like it's also valid to feel like that. Yeah, I think that's this, my response to this is kind of just like, Hobby versus work. <laughs> what's what's the return on investment? I don't know, but <laughs> I got to do. I got to work. <laughs> I'm also building a brand too, and so that is work and steering it as well as creating the traction as well as just learning from it day by day, like that organic understanding. So yeah, there's definitely work, and I'll always put work in it because of that because some brands don't put that work in to go into some history of service jobs when was your first one how has a lot of that experience played into the work you're doing now for yourself and at the full-time job you have yeah my first service job was really short in hawaii at duraku in waikiki And I came and applied for like an office job. And then the owner was like, you should be a server. And that's when I had fish for the first time. Oh, my God. In high school? (laughs) I did not see that coming. In college. In college. (laughs) Uh, Sushi. Sushi. Yeah, it was like a Caribbean sushi spot. Uh, And so that was my first service job. It was very short. And then my real, real service job was in Philadelphia at a wine bar. So honored, so honored to work at a wine cafe. Oh my gosh. Um, so honored. And so there I learned everything about wine. And that was like a different, you know, serving experience because you don't really make that many tips. Yeah. So that was just kind of like a joke job. Um, but you learned a lot. And then I worked at Bud in Maryland's and then I worked at a couple other places. I also organized restaurant workers in Hawaii into a union for a couple years right after college and then ended up working at One Fair Wage and organized workers. But that's more of a nonprofit, very different. You're not building power. It's like political stuff. I have gotten fired from jobs. I have been the black only black person on the floor. I have internalized a lot of things. And thought that that was just me. (laughs) And service is also just an interesting space. It's also hospitality. It's also what I do in many ways in Black Dragon Breakfast Club. You know, it's also hospitality 
introducing and welcoming someone into your space, into your brand, into your events, into your activations. I, I feel like a big part of hospitality too is you like have to smile through some terrible people sometimes, especially when you're not the one in charge of what you're working for. Yeah, yes. It's funny. I guess it's the, I don't know, maybe it's just how you have to do it. I don't think the service industry has to run the way it does, but you know, racism doesn't have to exist than it does. So <laughs> not going to try to make sense of that on this conversation. <laughs> Waste of time. What kind of boundaries have you set up for yourself in creative work and work work so that you're able to function? Learning, learning. Last year, I learned about boundaries. Setting boundaries is an ongoing practice. I struggle setting boundaries. <laughs> Some areas of my life, I'm very, very good at it. Boundaries when it comes to music and my creativity there. Mm, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> boundaries at work. Oh, I have been working on that. I am, I'm getting better at it. Getting better at communicating. Getting better at speaking up. Getting better. Getting more comfortable. It's very uncomfortable to speak up for myself uh, and part of boundaries, right? You set them and then you have to assert them. Like, I really want to tell you <laughs> how I feel right now and that that's not okay. And okay, and so as we talk about that, when it comes to like music, I think part of my boundary setting there was identifying that I needed to work with like a female. Mm -hmm. And so finding someone really helped and that process has just been so much more, I'm so much more comfortable and so there was a boundary that I needed to set, you know, that was working with guys that like, like me, <laughs> like, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What the yes. fuck? Yeah. Because at that point, too, you can't tell if they're if they're actually being genuine when they say that was good. That was great. This is incredible. It's like, no, I need actual feedback. Like, I need to be able to trust yeah. you to tell me what I need to do to make this good. And for some reason, a woman, I'm just going to automatically dress. <laughs> now, yeah! there's no sense yeah! there either. But, you know, I feel like it's a boundary and I've created it and we'll see how it works. <laughs> and I question that too. That's a whole other conversation too, right? It's like, do you really love me? I don't know. Do you? Are you sure? Are you just saying that? Uh, are you sure? But I set boundaries like with my family. Like I can't stand my mom. And I so I can't really talk to her right now. I'm not ready. I don't have my boundaries and I'm not strong enough. You know, mm -hmm. my sisters I've had to set boundaries there. Whew. I have not been setting any food boundaries. I've been like ordering chocolate torts. Wow. Like what? two times what? a week. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds what? nice. Carol's like, tell me when. Yes, hello. Tell me where. <laughs> like, I ordered two of them one time. What the <laughs> I left it under my bed and then had it the next oh, day in no. the morning. <laughs> so I did want to ask a question. I mean, you've been doing a lot of work with One Fair Wage and outside of One Fair Wage with advocacy work. What kind of toll has that taken on you, on, on yourself and in your soul? And also, how has your relationship changed with that type of work over the past year? Yeah, well, I would definitely say I've learned that this is political organizing at a nonprofit. And it's very different from union organizing. And that's very different from grassroots organizing. And like making peace with that. 
and needing to be very mature about my understanding of the situation <laughs> so that there's no need to be optimistic. So then in that, I actually have to like put maybe push back a little bit and ask you that word choice of mature about a situation. Is it really more ex- like uh, having to accept the situation or is it truly like you have to be mature of what is happening? Uh, I call it maturity because I'm connecting it to emotion and being driven and guided and motivated by emotion. And so when I remove that or I lessen its impact, then it's more of like a practicality of things and analyze and accept. That doesn't mean you don't fight, but it requires me to then have to really quantify, identify, develop what it means to fight on my own outside of an organization. And that's very personal and individual. And like, you know, there can be a familiarity to connect to an organization because I've always been paid essentially to organize. And I don't really think of always the other work as organizing because I've always gotten paid to do it as well. It's always been, you know, with a movement and organization and tied to these, you feel like you're tied to these bigger things, but you're really just getting told to told what to do, you know, somebody else's agenda. And so it hasn't made, taken a toll on me. I mean, I think working as an organizer has just shaped me. And I've had some challenging growing pains and accepting Like, you're not saving the world, but oftentimes when you're in the work environment, you're told you're saving the world. And so in order to make sense of that, you need to be mature and accept the situation. You know, like, this is a job. You want to keep the job or no? (laughs) You know, I guess you can say that takes a toll on the other side of it where there's a narrative of fighting is pushing back and is challenging the status quo and is making the work environment better because we're making situations better, I guess. But that requires other people to do things. So I, you know, like putting my purpose in other people doing things. Mm, yeah. So again, like needing to be mature, like, do I want to work? or not? Do I want this job or not? If not, then do something else. It's it's something you're passionate about. There's the idea of everyone should be getting the base level of income for the work they do, and that's the main passion. But then there's bureaucracy that gets in the way that very much slows down that idea. How does that bureaucracy play into how you think about that main idea that you strive for? Can it be done? with the level of bureaucracy that gets involved. Yeah, and I guess it's also like knowing like you're, you're the one place that you're at isn't gonna make the big change. Mm-hmm. And so if you know that, then you know, you don't really have any control over anything that's gonna happen. And whatever you're thriving for, whatever your goals are, hopefully you don't root them in like an organization that you don't run because you're not going to be able to maintain that and meet your goals independently Mm -hmm. uh, or even successfully. 
I don't I don't think mm-hmm. uh, unless your goals are to get a keep a job, you know, fulfill some purpose and, you know, a couple other things. And so I think there's like this larger question of your the things that you strive for need to be dependent at the end of the day on yourself. And I think that then just it's like it's got to be about you. And that's a weird place to come from (laughs) and to resolve to. But I think that's the mature way and practical way to look at it. That's I think that's been my like existential, you know, shit. Mm -hmm. It's like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, what? Oh, I need to be making this money. <laughs> like, I gotta be getting this stability in my life. I gotta get my sanity on point. Mm-hmm. I gotta just make this gotta make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I need to be doing. And so, mm, that's where my mental capacity needs to be strong. There. Mm-hmm. This other shit. Like, don't get me wrong. Specific challenges like racism at work. Okay, I'm not going to get the job because you know I'm black. Fuck. (laughs) What are my other options? (laughs) I think the sooner I get to the next step (laughs) where else we need to go, the better. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, okay, you are challenging me at work. How much can I document to make sure I cover my ass because, yep, if you don't want me here, I'm not going to last. Absolutely. Are there some microaggressions? Is there racism going on? Probably. Yep. Probably. But if they hired you, then they're okay with you being here. Like, I guess I'm trying to say, like, I have to approach things in this way. I'm learning how to approach things in this way. And I'm learning that other people have been approaching it this way, too. And like there is a way to approach this and navigate the world and we have to figure out how to do it and know that like other people are navigating it as well and try to be as true to myself and also know that mm, I'm going to get to race, get back to race. Like, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm a black woman. Either you're going to want me here or you are not. And that is like enough to be focusing on mm-hmm. <laughs> and to be balancing and taking care of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think like... So I guess what I'm striving for, I'm striving to have sanity. My cause is to maintain sanity and to thrive in this world and to navigate spaces as much as I can as myself and not spend too much time thinking and trying to work out things that aren't my shit. Like, that's, I think that's my cause. That's what I need my cause to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I, I think I, I've been, I feel silly in the past. being like, rah, 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 all these causes. Where's my sanity and my bank account? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I think about the old granny. Like, if I had one that was alive, like, she'd be like, honey, <laughs> what, what do you want? Are you getting that? Well, don't be talking about, just talk about what you want. (laughs) You know, like I struggle with that. Just like, what do I want? I don't know. It's like muffled in like things that I think I'm supposed to do. And I'm getting there because I guess I want 
to make my life thrive. (laughs) I need that to be my cause. Because I also know that if I know that I'm rooted and I have foundations that are strong and I have strong values. And so I know that if I do that, I I will create something great. And so I think I have to like, I think that's best probably for a lesson for anybody. Like let that be your cause that you fight for. Like if it is environmental justice, be environmentally just and create environmentally just things and operate in an environmentally just way. And I think you thriving for your cause. So what do you hope for yourself for the next year? I mean, like, I really want to be- <laughs> I really hope that (laughs) over the next year, (laughs) I work my body out. I need to change my life. Um, mm. (sighs) Over the next year, mm, either I maintain my job or I don't, and I can still maintain that money, make more. Um, Over the next year to continue to establish the foundation of Black Dragon Breakfast Club and to get better at sharing the stories that aren't that cute. Because <laughs> mm, I can't be calling other people out if I'm not calling myself out. I'm doing the work. And music projects. Getting some music videos out for the Dragons EP. And I really, like, not that I want to be a superstar, but... You know, I want to be part of the (laughs) galaxies, you know, in that way. And there is a part of me that is like, maybe you can just sing and smoke weed Mm -hmm. and make an impact Mm -hmm. and make money. Like, maybe I can do that so being Mm -hmm. able to explore that a little bit more over the next year and put like dollar sign on that too and just be fierce in that way like don't hold myself back be ambitious believe in myself and just be great there you go i just thought about like being the juice and like (laughs) squeezing the juice and then i was like then I thought, bitch, you're dehydrated. Like, you're not even a plump piece of citrus. Like, you look plump, but you are like, you know, go drink some water and stop drinking this coffee. Like, you can't even do that in your imagination. Real shit. You know, so like everything is connected. <laughs> and like, absolutely. Like, if I just, there's this other part too that I'll close with. I do believe if I can just love myself deeper, if I can really just truly fall in love with myself, like fuck with myself heavy, like, you know, really just be like, dang, like, okay. Like, you know, pull up in the room, rub my leg and be like, mm. you know, look at my feet and be like, yes. Look at my nails, file them, be like, right, healthy, clean. You know, look at my skin. Like when I wash my hair, just be like, mm, yes. 
and just be that, I I think actually <laughs> I will be a fucking millionaire. Like I I think I kind of think like and you know there could be some optimism in this. <laughs> there could be a lot, but there's also this kind of looking at the way things move in the world get some traction you know what i mean create i am dynamic like i am i do believe i am dynamic and the game is silly so i am in america i do have this passport i am smart i might be prettier than i think come on now like just be and <laughs> love yourself and then maybe share that a little bit and then maybe that's all i gotta do yeah that's awesome. And that wraps up our interview. You can find Sahai Tu at blackdragonbreakfast.com and on social media at Black Dragon Breakfast Club. For her music, you can find Sahai Tu at soundcloud.com slash T-S-E-H-A-I-T-U. Music you hear is by my band, Full Bush, and you can find us at fullbush.bandcamp.com and all streaming services. You can find Creatives on Deck on any podcast streaming platform and on Instagram at Creatives on Deck. Got a question? Send us an email, creativesondeck at gmail.com. See you next week. I wanna wait, yeah.